Uh, welcome to RUF. Uh, my name is Chris Horn, and I'm the campus minister here. Uh, if you don't know me, I don't know you, I would love to get to know you. A uh, very special welcome to you tonight, especially if this is your first time at RUF. Uh, it's very good to see you. And um, RUF is a community of students that are trying to learn what it looks like to love God and to love one another. And so whether you are a Christian, whatever your religious affiliation or thoughts are, or non-religious affiliation or thoughts, whoever you are, whatever you've done, you're welcome here. This is a place for people that are in process to process. So if that's you, great. Uh, we're glad that you're here to examine uh, this Jesus together with us. Uh, tonight we're continuing our series called Questions God Asks. And uh, basically what we're doing is we're looking at questions, times in the scripture where the Lord asked a question. And uh, we're looking all over the scripture. Tonight we're in Genesis chapter 3. I believe it should be on the, or it will be. Thank you, Carter. Um, so uh, turn there, if you would, if you have a Bible with you. If you don't have a Bible and you desire to have one, uh, there are some on the tables outside. Um, if you, it's just something you don't have, we would love to give that to you for you to follow along and take home and, and look over later. Um, so as you're turning there, uh, while we're on the subject, I love Toy Story. Um, if Hopefully there's a Toy Story fans here. Some of us... Uh, all right. Uh, some of our students worked at Disney World this past semester and over the summer. Yeah, Lauren put her hand up. Me, I worked at Disney World. It's me. Um, and uh, anyway, but the reason why Toy Story is great is because Toy Story is all about remembering your identity, right? Finding out who you, what your true identity is. You remember Buzz Lightyear? Uh, you know, he crashes on this strange planet that's hostile and full of strange life forms. And he thinks that he is indeed a space ranger, and he doesn't believe these other life forms that are telling him that he is, in fact, a toy. Uh, but only when he sees a commercial for a Buzz Lightyear action figure does he realize, in fact, he is a toy, right? And uh, once he realizes that and accepts his real identity, right, he begins to flourish and things go well for him. Uh, and it's very exciting. And uh, Woody, right, the sheriff, uh, Woody is always the one, right, when things are looking bad, what does Woody always do? He always reminds everyone that they're Andy's toys, right? Uh, he lifts up his boot, and on the bottom is written Andy, and reminds everyone, even in the midst of darkness and trial, that they are Andy's toys, that they have a purpose, uh, right? Uh, and the part of the true joy for them is, being, is belonging to Andy. And uh, one of the reasons why stories like Toy Story are so good, and they stir us up, uh, all of y'all were like tiny when Toy Story came out, but it probably still resonated with you, uh, is because I think it harkens back to an even more ancient story, even more ancient than the late 90s. Uh, uh, back to a distant memory uh, of a time when we knew who we belonged to, when we knew who our maker was and we belonged to him, this ancient story of our roots and where we've come from. And uh, that's what we're looking at tonight uh, in Genesis 3, this story of what happened with the world. Uh, have you ever wondered why life is simultaneously amazing and beautiful and also very terribly sad and heartbreaking all at the same time? Uh, I think some of the answers are here in Genesis. So if you would, look with me at Genesis. We're going to start in chapter 2 and read most of uh, chapter 3. Listen, this is the word of God. Uh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some of it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and hid myself. And he said to him, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, Why, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And then over in uh, verse 20, The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask his blessing as we look at it together. Uh, Father, your word has been read, and that is enough. Um, You can change us. You can glorify yourself. uh, You can prick our hearts. You can change our hearts through it, um, Lord. But because you're kind and merciful, uh, would you come now by your Holy Spirit and attend to the teaching of it, that we might know you uh, and love you and glorify you uh, here and now. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So anyway, Toy Story, like I was saying. Uh, the beauty of the movie, right, is that they're finding that their identity, and they had this real security and joy as belonging to Andy, right? And there's never really any other voice that is, com- is coming in until, dun-dun-dun, Toy Story 3, which is, which is great. I saw in the drive-in with my wife, who's here. And uh, it was great. And um, in Toy Story 3, you may remember they go to Sunnyside Daycare, and there's a new voice that comes into the conversation, Lotso Huggin' Bear, uh, the strawberry-scented t- teddy bear, right? Lotso, and, uh, which is a terrible, terrible name for a character. They could have come up with something much catchier. Uh, but Lotso Huggin' Bear comes on the scene, and he begins to tell the toys, right, that they are not primarily identified as belonging to an owner, right? That's his big game. That's his voice that comes in. I remember he says, no owner means no heartache. We don't need owners. We are our own owners, masters of our own fate. And the toys are all thrown into this identity crisis of who they are. Buzz Lightyear speaks Spanish. Uh, it's a great movie. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, and, and so in the Garden of Eden, where, where Adam and Eve are, they have a very unique relationship with God. In much the same way, they had this real joy 
and security, right, with God. Because they're totally exposed and naked and living with God in perfect harmony. Um, They had real trust and vulnerability uh, and safety and acceptance with God. Um, That had been their existence. Yet, as was the case at Sunnyside Daycare, uh, a new voice comes in and begins to question uh, their identity. Uh, The voice of a serpent, right? And he challenges uh, their joy and their security. And from the moment that the the serpent speaks, things are never the same. And this isn't just some story. This is is a historical account of our first parents. And from this point, things have never been the same. They eat of this fruit. They sin against God. They rebel. And uh, their identity changes. And they're cast headlong into real shame. And they begin to deal with shame. The same shame that we continue to experience today. Uh, And just like Adam and Eve... Uh, We are desperately trying to cover up our shame, and we need God to intervene uh, because our best efforts are uh, really woeful. So tonight we're going to look at this shame. We're going to quickly we're going to look at the origins of shame. We're going to look at our attempts attempts to cover up our shame, and we're going to look at how God responds to our shame. So the origins of shame. Uh, Adam and Eve are here with this serpent, right? And this serpent kind of comes out of nowhere. And begins to challenge God. But why, why would Adam and Eve ever be, listen to this serpent after all? I mean, it was God is the one that has created them. It's God is the one that has given them everything they need. He has been kind to them. But notice what the serpent says. He says, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Uh, that's a slippery question, which is intended to deceive them. Because God actually didn't say, don't eat of any tree, right? But Eve doesn't quite know what God said for some reason. Uh, She's either forgotten or hasn't been taught correctly. Um, Because God said this, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God had given Adam and Eve access to everything in the garden. Everything. They could eat of anything in the garden. They had free reign of this beautiful, wonderful, perfect, utopian paradise. Except for there was one provision. Don't eat of this one tree. And there's good reason, because once you eat it, you will die. I would hardly say it's stingy for God to say, don't eat of that tree, because it will kill you. Uh, He was protecting them, right? He was giving them safety. But once the serpent gets Eve a little confused... She's not quite sure what God says. She says, yeah, and God said, don't touch the tree either. God never said that. But once he gets her confused, he slips in a real lie. And he says this, uh, you will not surely die. He just comes right out with it, right? He says, look, if you eat this, this fruit, you're not going to die. God is telling you a lie. He's not being truthful with you. Uh, when you, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's a complete rejection of what God had said, right? And if you know anything about Satan, anything about the serpent, he's the one that wants to be like God, right? And so he's always kind of jealous. And uh, he's saying, look, uh, God is keeping something from you. Uh, they would never believe this random snake, as you might, I don't know, if a random snake slid up to you and talked to you, would you believe what it said? I, maybe, because that would be so weird that you would think maybe they were telling the truth. Um, <laughs> But he makes it believable by calling God's character into question. 
He makes God sound harsh, right? God is keeping something from you. There's this knowledge, this wisdom, this beautiful understanding that if only God would stop being so dang stingy and let you eat this tree, your eyes would be opened and you would have this new level of joy and everything would be wonderful. He's keeping all of this wonderful knowledge from you. Uh, Until this point, Adam and Eve had no reason to think that God had kept anything from them. He had given them this garden and this rain and this beautiful relationship with himself and this beautiful relationship with one another. I mean, because if you, I mean, it's hard to even imagine like a man and a woman that are living together naked all the time, totally uh, open and vulnerable and yet totally safe and secure. Um, but but the, the serpent comes in and he says, are you sure that God loves you completely? Are you sure that he's not holding anything back? Because there's this one thing I think he's holding back. Seems to me like he's being a little bit stingy. With you, Are you sure that he loves you and takes care of you the way that you think he does? Uh, and so their security before God is in question. And that question, can I be sure that God loves me completely? Can I trust this God? Is a question that from this point has resonated throughout all of human history, throughout this entire room. It's the fundamental question that continues to persist in our hearts. Can I be sure that God actually really loves me and accepts me and gives me his all? Uh, That's the reason why we continue to sin. It's the reason why I still sin. Uh, If I believe that God loved me completely and had my best at heart and would never do anything to harm me, I would do whatever he asked, right? Uh, I would not do everything that he told me not to do. But since I'm not totally sure, I try to figure it out on my own. And that's the reason why I continue to sin. And I would say that's, that's the reason why you continue to sin as well. We're not sure that God loves us and has, his be- uh, has our best at heart. And neither were Adam and Eve, so they decided to find out on, the, on their own. They eat this fruit, right? And the, the serpent was right in a lot of ways, right? Their eyes are opened, right? And what, what do they see, right? This new knowledge. Do they have this wonderful understanding, this, this huge, expansive knowledge of the earth, and this real deep, robust wisdom that they always wish they'd had? What are the mysteries of the universe that are now open to them when they eat the fruit? Well, they don't notice anything at first but themselves, right? They notice that they're naked. Uh, now, they shouldn't theoretically have had any parameters for nakedness. Because it's like, I mean, if you can imagine, like, you kind of lived your whole life naked, and then one day you're like, oh, my God, I'm naked. Uh, (laughs) It's like a really terrible dream, like a lifetime dream. That's the dream that I really fear having, that, like, while I'm asleep, I dream of this whole life. And then I wake up, and I'm like, man, that was really tiring. Um, Before they were naked, right, and it actually says that in verse 25, chapter 2, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. But now when they look at themselves, they have this new sense of, uh, of, of shame. Like they're not, things aren't quite right. This isn't something that I can show to someone else. This isn't something that I want them to see. Suddenly it's not so safe to expose themselves to one another. So they, so they, they want to cover themselves up, right? You guys are, even if you've probably never listened to someone talk about the Bible, you know the story, Adam and Eve, and they have like these little leaves, you know. In front of them, you've seen the paintings. Um, so, but really, they 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 sew these leaves together to try to try and cover uh, themselves up. And um, 
because they feel weird. This is like this weird, yucky feeling. I'm not sure that I want you to see this. And many of us you know, can resonate with that probably. Uh, if you've ever had an intimate relationship with someone and they took advantage of that intimacy or they rejected your intimacy, you know that like, kind of weird, like, yucky feeling, right? Like, I can't believe that I, you know, I bared that part of myself, whether it's just part of you or physically. Um, and so you know, before they had been friends and like lovers and husband and wife, and they had loved each other, and now... Shame. Um, this this uh, this vulnerability is gone uh, for them, and uh, I just want to camp out here just for a second. I don't I don't want to intend on talking about this all night, um, but it, it's worth being said. Uh, none of us in this room are immune. You know, okay, RUF isn't the place where we're like, ooh, the culture says all these bad things, and blah, 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 the culture's awful. Um, that's not who we are. But there is one part of the culture that I think we have probably all bought into in some way um, or another. Uh, and it's that like intimacy, sexuality isn't a big deal, right? Um, that it's just for pleasure and it's private. It's this thing that's very private and I can kind of do with it uh, you know, what I want. Uh, it's just for pleasure. It's nothing more. And uh, in some way or another, you have sort of interacted with that cultural value and this text actually flies totally in the face of that. Because what God's saying is, look, your sexuality, your intimacy, means way, way, way more than just pleasure or expression. It gets at something very fundamental in us. Um, you know, the, 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 the basis of intimacy is that we're supposed to be safe with a person. Uh, that we're supposed to be able to be vulnerable with a person and for them to not leave us or betray us, that we're supposed to care for one another and comfort one another. And I think that, you know, when we talk about our own sexuality, we're like, yeah, 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 but, you know, we might be flippant about it. But if you've ever known someone that has been hurt sexually, you know that it's way more fundamental than just pleasure, right? Because when someone takes someone's intimacy, uh, they didn't just, like, take their pleasure, Right? Uh, they took something deeper inside. Um, you can choose to ignore it, and that's, that's fine. But in s- sex and in intimacy, uh, you are making all kinds of promises with your body. Um, you are telling this other person that you will not leave them. That if they're, if they're exposed before you, that you won't, you won't laugh. You won't tell anybody that you want to expose them to the outside and they can be safe with you. I know it doesn't always feel like that. Um, but you can tell her or him as often as you want that it's not a big deal. And it's just for fun. And, you know, we can just, like, do this and we can be friends. Um, but your body is saying something much more fundamental and you're making promises to somebody um, that you might not be willing to keep. Uh, so... Um, Sexual intimacy is very, very uh, fundamental to who we are, and it says a lot about us, and we, we, we say a lot of things to that, to that other person. So Adam and Eve feel this shame, right, uh, that comes now they're exposed. They feel this uncertainty, this shame, and they try to sew together some leaves, which if you think about it, if you were sewing together leaves to try and cover yourself, uh, it doesn't do a very good job, you know, because there is wind, uh, and there are other angles that aren't as helpful to covering yourself. Um, you know, like you have to walk around. And uh, 
their coverings are very insufficient, right? They're like, I got to cover myself up so there's some leaves and this, this looks good. You know, we've come a long way since the leaf, um, thankfully. Um, uh, but not only could they not cover their nakedness from each other, because they're trying to cover it up from each other, right? Um, but they think that they can hide from God, so they run off into the trees, right? Like, as if God didn't know they were there. Like, I wonder where they went. You know, they were just here, uh, and now they're gone. Um, you know, it's like, I just, you know, you turn around for a second in these kids. Uh, when you have children, though, it is like that. Um, but their, their coverings and their, their attempts to hide themselves are, are just sad, and, and, they're, and they're ineffective. Um, and whether you're here tonight and you're a Christian, and you can't remember a day where you didn't know and love Jesus, or you're not a Christian, or you've kicked the whole thing, or you don't know where you are, regardless of where we are, this is a picture of us, right? Um, deceived, right, into wondering whether God loves us, and uh, whether we can trust God, and we're ashamed, right? Because there's parts, no matter who you are, there's parts of you that you just don't want people to know about. Uh, whether it's something you've done, or something you've thought, something you've wanted. And, uh, and we're struggling, really, you know, to keep it all hidden. Um, you know, we just don't, like, just drop our stuff on everybody from the get-go, because most people will be like, oh my gosh, and run away. Um, we're f- afraid that once people really get to know us, right, that they will run. That they won't want to have anything to do with us. Um, alienated, hiding in the woods. Uh, but sewing some leaves together and getting behind a bush uh, is not going to keep people from finding out your stuff. Um, and hiding is not going to keep God from knowing where you are. Uh, it's just not. Uh, I read this one writer, Dan Allender, and he puts it like this. I think he nails it. The dread of being found out is sufficient to fuel radical denial, work, alcoholism, perfectionism, re-victimization, and a host of other ills. But the fear is greater than simply losing relationship. It is the terror that if our dark soul is discovered, we will never be enjoyed, nor desired, nor pursued by anyone. Have you ever felt like, if, the, if this person knew, they would reject me? That's shame. Um, and to, to escape that shame, we have all kinds of surprises. We have all kinds of surprises. We have all kinds of disguises, right? All kinds of ways that we want to cover, we want to cover up. Um, you can be really witty. You can be the witty guy, right? Uh, you, could be the, you could be really pretty or really smart, right? Or perform really well at everything that you do. You could be at the top of your class. Uh, you could have been the first person in your, in your uh, family to go to college, which is great. But you, now you're like, this means that I'm okay, Right? Um, uh, you, you, you could be the person that's always, you know, sort of on the run trying to keep ahead, right? Always trying to do things well so that everyone sees that you're happy and everything's great and no, everything, nothing, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. What are you talking about? I look fine, you know? Um, there's all kinds of disguises, uh, but especially if you're on the performance treadmill, it is a treadmill and it's really hard to get off. It just gets faster and faster, right? Um, the more ways that we try to cover up the things that, are, that we are ashamed of, the harder it gets. Uh, it's like a pie-eating contest uh, where the reward for winning is more pie. Um, disgu- disguising yourself and disguising your sin, disguising the things that you are, um, that you are ashamed of uh, is hard and gets harder and harder and harder to convince people that you aren't a mess. 
but some of us don't cover up, right? Some of us hide. Some of us run away. Uh, and you can do that alone, or you can do that with other people. You can, I mean, there's some of us, like, that can hide really well in, like, a group of people, right? I get all these surfacey friends, and no one really asks me about my stuff, and so I feel good, and they affirm me. Um, or you can numb yourself with TV or alcohol or pornography um, or, or, or a host of other things that you can just binge on that you hope will make that feeling go away. Um, you can isolate yourself with video games or excessive studying. Uh, now, I can't, I can't really be in this relationship with you. I have to study. I just, I'm, I'm so committed to my schoolwork, I can't leave my dorm ever. Um, <laughs> And even those of us that have said, you know what, I don't think there is a God, and I'm just kind of punting this whole thing, a lot of times we can sound angry when we say that, so it sounds like there is no God, and I hate him. Uh, he's the worst for not existing. Uh, all of our attempts to find shelter and to cover up um, do very little to cover up our nakedness. Um, and we need God to come in, right, and to clean up the mess, because we all deeply want to be known. Like, we want to share that with people, and we want people to know what it is, um, but we're afraid that they might hurt us. And we need God to come in and clean up the mess. So we saw, you know, a, a, uh, the origins of our shame and how we attempt to try and cover them up. But how does God respond? What's God's thoughts on our shame if we're here tonight? Uh, we, we try to run and hide from God, but look at how the Lord responds to Adam and Eve. He's walking in the garden. Uh, which is a weird enough thought to think of to begin with. Um, but he calls out to them. He says, where are you? Uh, I mean, clearly he knows where they are. He's God. You know, it's like he knows all the, the number of sand particles on the beach. Particles? Grains of sand <laughs> on the beach. Uh, he knows where they are, right? He knows what they've done. But what's God doing? Like He's pursuing them like a father. He's giving them the opportunity, right? He said, I'm out here. You can come out to me. Where are you, my children? Come out to me. And of course, since now things are so different and they have so much fear, they don't run to God. They stay hidden and uh, they start blame shifting, right? Uh, they, don't, they don't go to God for forgiveness, for reconciliation. Uh, Adam's like, you know, it was this woman, you know. Doesn't work, by the way. Have tried it. And... Uh, <laughs> And it doesn't work, gentlemen, just know that. Um, but look at what God says to the serpent in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The very first thing that God does in reaction to this fall, right? This is what we call the fall, uh, the initial sin that brought sin into the world. The very first thing that God does is he curses somebody, and it's the serpent, and he promises to crush the serpent. So the first thing that God does to respond to our shame is he crushes our deceiver. He crushes the serpent, crushes our enemy. Now, he does curse the man and the woman, and you can read that. We skipped over it, but you can read that, and there's still a lot of that continues to this day. We feel, we're feeling the, the pain of those, that curse. But he crushes, he, uh, he curses Satan first. And what does he say? That the offspring of the woman will crush Satan's head. Now, it might say bruise in your translation. Uh, the word is more emphatic than that. It's a crushing um, word. 
And the word that says offspring there is actually seed. So God is actually saying this one person, this singular person is going to come from Eve and he is going to crush the serpent's head, but the serpent will, will crush his heel. This one person, this second Adam, the son of Eve, the son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Satan is going to come. This promise comes from the very beginning and inflict a blow on, on Jesus that looks like it has him, right? But it won't kill him. But Jesus will come and he will crush Satan to death. God's immediate reaction to this alienation, this shame that his children have brought on themselves, uh, is that he's going to crush that alienation. He's going to crush that one that's deceived them and is their enemy. And he's going to crush it to death and save his people. Uh, If you think that the gospel starts with the gospel of Matthew... uh, You're wrong. The gospel is at the very, very beginning of the story. God's immediate response to sin is to rescue his people. That's his immediate response. Don't you ever just long for the day when, like, everything will be put right? Aren't you hoping that that's going to happen? Uh, Aren't you looking forward to that day when all the sad things come untrue, uh, as Tolkien puts it? God promises it from the very beginning. There wasn't a point where there was sin in the world where God didn't promise to fix it. He does it at the very beginning. The Lord Jesus took a vicious blow, right? Christ went to the cross, and it looked very bad for him. It looked like he had lost. But when Jesus was raised from the tomb, uh, it sealed the death of sin and of Satan. Now, he declared that his people are no longer subjects of this serpent. Jesus is coming. He came then to crush death, and when he comes back, he's going to finally alienate and alleviate sin from the earth. It's kind of like if you've ever seen a snake be killed or seen its head smashed or cut off, the snake doesn't just like, and it's done. It thrashes around for a while, right? We're still living with that thrashing, but the Lord Jesus is going to come back and remove Satan. So God responds to to our shame, to the fall, by promising to crush the deceiver. But God also responds to our shame by promising to cover it up. So God's going to come and cover up our shame. Look at verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Innocent blood was shed to cover up people that were alienated from God uh, so that they no longer had to be ashamed. Uh, their fig leaves were woeful, you know, again, the wind. Um, but he came and he made, he made clothing for them because um, he had empathy on these people that felt ashamed and alienated, and he clothed them. Not only does Jesus pay for our sin by shedding his blood for us, But he comes in and he gives us a covering. Uh, He covers us up. The prophet Isaiah puts it like this. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself 
with jewels. He doesn't come just to cover us up with some dinky little leaves. He gives us beautiful clothing to wear. He gives us Jesus to wear. So that when we're naked and so embarrassed and afraid and ashamed, Jesus takes that shame and he gives us his beautiful, marvelous light, his character, his righteousness, the Bible says. So that when God sees us, he sees Jesus. And it's a wonderful, beautiful garment that fits you just right. And he covers us up from head to toe. He wraps us in it. So that as we approach God, no longer are we like Adam afraid. But we stand before God covered in Jesus and safe. uh, And able to uh, get along with our business, as it were. Uh, God doesn't laugh at your shame or your failure or your nakedness. And he doesn't stand aloof waiting for you to figure your stuff out and come to him. He comes to you. He comes to us. And he wraps us in Jesus and covers us and makes us safe. So, if you're here and you aren't a Christian, you're very welcome here. And there's no pressure on you to figure anything out. This is a place where you can process this stuff and just think about it and talk about it. Get in a community group, small group. Talk about it with people. Um, But if you're not a Christian, I, I would wager that you know something of this feeling of shame. And if you're not a believer, what are you going to do with that shame? Where are you going to take that shame? Who's going to cover that up? Um, Are you trying to disguise those quiet things that no one ever knows about you? Are you trying to cover them up? You're probably not doing as great of a job as you think. Um, What if you heard God calling out to you and saying, where are you? Why don't you come out to me and let me cover you up? How would you respond to that? Would you at least poke your head out to try and see what he's all about? What if Jesus stands ready to accept you and cover you? Could you come out? And if you are a Christian, if you're here and you're covered by Jesus, you know something of that being in Christ, as the Bible puts it, in him. Uh, If you belong with him, if you belong to Jesus, if he's your owner, if his name is written on the bottom of your foot, Who's telling you that you're still naked? There's a lot of voices, and I get it. Like, they're inside, they're outside, saying that, like, you're just not good enough. And that this, God would never love you. He might accept you and take you to heaven, but he doesn't really want to be with you. And that you did something, and you're like, I just don't know if I can take that to God. Um, Are you afraid that when people get to know you, like really know you, that they will run away? Because people have run away in the past. Um, Is there some nagging shame that still lingers uh, in your heart? Uh, You are not naked if you're in Jesus. He has covered you up. You have no reason to run and hide from God. And you have no reason to run and hide from one another. Jesus has covered you. He was exposed He was stripped naked. He hung on a cross for your sin. And he never would have done that if he wanted you to continue to live with the weight of that shame. If he wanted you to still prove it to himself and to everybody. He's got you. And you're safe 
in him, it's finished. You don't have to believe those voices telling you that you aren't good enough for this God. He makes you good enough. You're covered. It's an ancient story. But is there any part of it that when you really consider it, it feels like it echoes in a deep part of you that it's that the only the way that an old family story can? Um, that's this Bastille song comes on the radio like every 10 minutes. Uh, but I hated it at first, but now I kind of like it. Um, but you know the chorus, right? But if you close your eyes, uh, does it almost feel like nothing changed at all? And if you closed your eyes, does it almost feel like you've been here before? This is our story. This is our story. Can we trust this God? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we give you thanks that we are covered in Jesus. Uh, We thank you that from the very get, uh, you were there ready to save, ready to make a way for us from our sin. Lord, there's so much that nags at us, so much that uh, we carry um, that, that is our fault and that isn't our fault. Lord, we are weary and we need you to take our burdens. Lord, would you do that for us now? Convince us that we can trust you and run to you from our shame. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.